Well, good morning, and I'll add my happy Mother's Day to all the moms here. If you would turn open in your word to 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me this morning, we are going to be taking a break from our 10-week series on sex, I mean 1 Corinthians, Um, although doing a Mother's Day message uh, from that chapter would probably be appropriate and interesting as well, Uh, but we we don't want to miss the opportunity uh, to serve moms, to honor moms, and, and to do so from God's Word. I believe the Holy Spirit led me to to 2 Timothy, which is a letter that's written from one man to another man, which might seem just as odd for a Mother's Day sermon. And on top of that, uh, you have a man preaching it. Uh, Although for what it's worth, my my two-year-old who can use complete sentences still calls me mama. Um, So if that adds any qualification there, although that just speaks to the power of my wife's influence over him. But what we have here is, is a deeply personal letter. This has been described as Paul's last will and testament. He is writing from prison and he knows that his days are numbered. He, he can feel that the end is coming. And these are his final recorded words to Timothy. And this is a paternal letter. It's written from a spiritual father to his son in the gospel. And that, that theme characterizes the book. And we'll see where mothers in particular come in. And, and since this is, a, this is a message for spiritual mothers and fathers as well, I trust it'll, it'll serve everyone here. But let's read together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, With a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. God loaded in this initial greeting that Paul brings are, are words like grace mercy, and peace. That, that's the intended experience Timothy is to have as, as he reads these words. And, and we know that's your intention for our experience today as well. God, we need grace. We, we need a, a sense of your undeserved favor on our lives. Or we need your mercy. Lord, for every need, for every regret. Lord, we, we need peace for all that is at unrest in our souls. And so we, we seek your ministry. We seek your spirit today. Be among us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul opens by referring to Timothy as his beloved child. And his relationship with, with Timothy, it began when he met a group of believers in Lystra. And there was this young man there, really this teenager, that he invited to join him as, as his missionary companion. And, and scholars believe Timothy was probably about 15 years old when that happened, when that first uh, meeting took place. But, but now he's in his 30s. And he's serving as the lead elder of the church in, in Ephesus. And from the different places that, that Timothy shows up in, in the New Testament, you kind of, you, you get a little bit of a personality profile from just passing comments that are made along the way. It, it seems that he had an unassuming personality. 
when, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's, he's going to send Timothy to them. And he says, you know, see that you, you, you put Timothy at rest. You know, you, you make him feel welcome. Make, make sure that, that you guys are easy to edify when he comes to minister to you. He, he doesn't seem to have a natural confidence. And on top of that, he's, he's prone to illness, Paul, Paul mentions his stomach ailments. I mean, how would you like to have your irritable bowel syndrome written about for everybody else uh, to read? So, so Timothy is young, he is timid, and he is physically weak. But his responsibilities have been multiplying. There are pressing needs in, in the church that, that require discernment, that require careful thinking, that require strong leadership. This is a day for courage. And Paul's absence is going to create a vacuum for him to fill. And so Paul leaves him with this charge. His his desire is for Timothy to endure hardship and to stand confidently in the ministry that God has given to him. And, And Paul models something for Timothy here while reminding him of God's faithfulness and urging him to action. And this example that he gives, this, this reminder, this exhortation, I, I trust will serve our moms and serve all of us here. He, he describes being faithful to God's call, honoring of God's ways, and empowered by God's gift. And as you guys start my clock up there, we will begin with being faithful to God's call. Look at this thought from John Stott. He says, this then was Timothy, young in years, frail in physique, retiring in disposition, who nevertheless was called to exacting responsibilities in the church. Greatness was being thrust upon him. And like Moses and Jeremiah and a host of others before and after him, Timothy was exceedingly reluctant to accept it. As someone who's reading these pages in a similar situation, You are young and weak and shy, and yet God is calling you to leadership. And and we could extend that outward. To to be a mother is to have greatness thrust upon you. It is to be called to leadership, to represent God's authority, to, to stare down toddler tantrums and teenage trials and 20s transitions to, to, to look at it all with, with confidence and, and awareness that, that God has given this to you. And, and when that gets difficult, that, that, that raises the question, you know, are you supposed to be doing this? Is this the life that you expected? What have you gotten yourself into? And and Paul speaks to that from his opening words here. In verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. He had a deep awareness of this. He, He is an apostle by the will of God. God's will caused this. God brought it about. It it is by his intention. And this isn't filler content here. Paul's not some, you know, high school student writing an English essay trying to meet the word count. You know, that's not why these words show up. He, he, he is teaching something to Timothy here and to all of us. Paul's apostolic commissioning is a reminder to Timothy that we always serve by God's sovereign and good assignment. God has arranged where we are in life and what we're given to do. Timothy, you are not an elder in Ephesus by accident. This is not mere historical consequence. Life can feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? It has so many bizarre twists and turns. It's mysterious. There are times when we ask, how exactly did I end up here? What are the factors that created this? And if you follow the storyline of Paul's ministry, this is the second time now that he is in prison. The first time, that happened because he was 
coming to Jerusalem. He had gathered an offering because there were poor people there. There was a famine that had broken out and, and churches had given generously. And he wanted to present that to the, the needs of the congregation there. And, and, and when he arrives, the Apostle James just makes a suggestion. He says, hey, Paul, why don't you do this? Why, why don't you go ahead... And, and, and make an offering in the temple while you're here. And he explains why he wanted Paul to do that. But Paul shows up there and, and, and there is a mob that meets him. And it just seems like, dude, you are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and he gets to be arrested. If you follow the book of Acts, that's this long process. He appeals to Caesar. He's being shipped left and right. He's, a, he's appearing before different governmental officials. He ends up under house arrest in Rome and, and we get letters like Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians that are written during this time period. But eventually he's, he's released and, and he goes about the ministry again and he revisits areas where, where he's planted seeds and he cares for people. And not all the details are clear, but, but somehow he ends up getting arrested again. And now the situation is much worse. He is in a Roman dungeon. He is chained like a criminal. This is where the call has brought him. In a life situation that is limiting and constricting. The the walls are closing in on him. He is alone. The future is uncertain other than the fact that he anticipates his execution. Paul's life work is under threat here. The, the, the maniac emperor, the, the, the maniac Nero is, is emperor of Rome. And, and he, he did that. He rose to power by not only killing his brother, but by killing his mom. I mean, that is a unique kind of evil right there. He, he's the man who seems to be in charge. And, and false teaching is creeping into the church he says in verse 15 that, that essentially all the believers in Asia have turned away from the truth. One of his traveling companions, Demas, has abandoned him. He has walked away. It, it, it looks like everything could be falling apart. But he says in this letter that he might be in chains, but the gospel is not. Nero might be fiddling while Rome burns, but God is still on his throne. And so he calls Timothy to courage in this moment of God's redemptive plan. He says, Timothy, this is our day. God has called us to this. We live the assignment. When we go back to 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to read this. Paul says in verse 17, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. How has God ordered life for you? What, what is the occasion for you to engage? And, and in context of 1 Corinthians 7, he, he's talking about marriage and singleness. He's talking about family realities. With these, these realities that we find ourselves in, they have arrived on purpose And for every mom, motherhood is a divine assignment. Whether children were planned or unplanned, whether you entered into this wisely or not, this is your calling from God. And the significance of this calling ought to shape life. The order of your world answers to this. A quote from some moms along the way and let them state it in the way that only they can. Rachel Jankovic says this, motherhood is not a hobby. It's a calling. You do not collect children because you find them cuter than stamps. You do not raise children if you can squeeze the time in. Motherhood is what God gave you time for. Now, it's not the only calling, but it is a primary one, which means that Caring for the, the needs of your family is, is not a distraction from your purpose, but, but an expression of it. And, and this, is, this is an especially needed mindset when your children are young. You know, time spent in discipline, running, interference, 
for your children's complaints, managing a household, scaling Mount Laundry. You know, these are not wasted moments when it seems like you're just barely able to survive the day. You get to the close of the evening and you wonder what exactly was accomplished. You lived the assignment, and God is pleased. Listen, God is calling you through, through the waking of a newborn in the middle of the night. Through the attitude of the kid in the backseat of the vehicle who needs loving correction. Through, through what you discovered on your teenager's phone. Right? Th- th- these moments, they have not arrived by accident. God has sent them. To you. And Paul models himself here as an example to Timothy and by extension to to all of us. He shows us what does it look like to be faithful to the call of God. He says in verse 3 that he has a clear conscience. He's not talking about innocence, but integrity. He can look back on his life and he can know he's been true to the charge. Later in chapter 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And how I want to be able to say that. Maybe we'll be able to say this at the end of our lives as as church leaders, as fathers and mothers, as as disciple makers, that that we answered the call. We, We spent our energy on what God has given us to do. We we endured to the end. But, but, but notice, this is extremely helpful for us because Paul can say that even where there have been mixed results, even when, when the fruit hasn't borne out in the way that he would have expected or hoped, when, when, when what he has invested in seems to be teetering on the edge, Believers in Asia have disowned Paul and defected from the mission and yet he can have a clear conscience there are realities to grieve but no regrets God calls us to to faithfulness not to fruit management you you know the difference this is this is so essential this is so essential for, for when we go to interpret life we look at on the landscape of life and we and a question arises in our soul. Are we faithful? If, if, if the way that we answer that question, the primary way is, 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 is we look at the fruit, we, we look at what has lasted in the lives of our children, in the lives of our family, in the lives of, 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 of people that God allowed us to care for and walk with and spend time with. And, and not everything has, has turned out the way that we anticipated. Apparently, there are realities that bring tears to Paul's eyes, and yet he can say, I was true to the charge. I lived as God called me. And there, there are mothers in here who maybe you are in a similar life season as the Apostle Paul. And, and, and you can begin to see the horizons of eternity. And you, you know you, you were far from perfect. But you did it. You fought the good fight. And there is awaiting you a crown of glory. And I hope you hear that from the Lord this morning. He has a clear conscience. Second, he is constant in prayer Verse four, he says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. So here's Paul, he is in a cold prison and he is laboring in prayer for his child in the faith. He, he is over 800 miles away. But the walls of his cell have not limited his reach. He, he can write to him and he can pray. And sometimes, as, as, as parents, we, we try to wield every natural means that we can 
to influence our children? What, what, what are the levers that I need to pull? What are the knobs that I need to turn? You know, what are the, what are the tricks that fix this, that, that get them to respond the way that I want? What, what, what produces good behavior? What do I need to know? Right? Maybe we, we turn to almighty Google for answers. <laughs> what do I do in this situation? You know? And that really never goes away. The older your children get, you could have adult children and yet you still face the temptation. What do I need to do to convince them to see life the way that I see it? To get them to respond in the right way? To come to my perspective? And so we attempt to turn every natural knob that is available to us. But Paul calls us to prayer. He models us in his own life. He, he, he turns us toward the resources of omnipotence. That's what prayer does. Prayer, prayer connects us to power that is actually able to make the difference where our limits, the limits of our reach come to an end. Resource I, I would recommend to the moms uh, is by Melissa Kruger. It's titled Five Ways to Pray for Your Children. It's a bit of a mistitle there. It's really, there's a hundred things to pray. They just happen to be organized in fives. Uh, really helpful. She just takes scriptural themes and, and develops a pattern of, of prayer. And I've, I've used it myself. Uh, but, but something that's interesting is that she has her, her teenage daughter write the foreword to that book. And one of the things that her, her daughter points out is, is how... How essential it is, in, in the same way that, you know, you, you learn a language when you grow up in a, in a home setting that speaks that language, you, you learn it through assimilation, through familiarity. Um, she says, I, I learned the language of prayer from my home. I, I learned it through the prayers of my parents with me in the evening. I, I, I learned it through, through watching them model it. I mean, in my own life, it just, I just knew my mom was up at 4 a.m. I would call it an ungodly hour, but it's a godly hour because she was before the face of God, praying for the kingdom, praying for, for my sister and for me, praying for our future, praying for our souls. What a treasure that is. You just follow the, the biographies of, of people in history that have made an impact. And, and so often there, there, is a, there is a wife by his side if this is a man or there is a mother who has prayed. John Newton is the author of the hymn writer, uh, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. And I've, I've been spending some time with him this year and uh, just just lived a reckless life. He was a slave ship captain. He just embraced every immorality that he could get his hands on. He, he, he knew what it was to sing. I, I was blind, but now I see. God, God's grace saved a wretch like me. But he, he talks about in his formative years, these lasting memories of his mother's prayers. His mother was named Elizabeth and she suffered from tuberculosis. She had chronic fatigue, just was a very weak woman physically, but powerful in God's spirit. And he said, my dear mother, besides the reins she took with me, often commended me with many prayers and tears to God. And I doubt not, but I reap the fruit of these prayers to this hour. He was never able to outrun them. And they have stayed with him through all of the realities of ministry that he faced throughout the course of his life. But, but he, he mentions there prayers and tears. And that's something that Paul highlights here. Look at verse four. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Loss has come to characterize their relationship. Paul is sitting in his cell and he can picture Timothy's face and he can see the tears streaming. His, his heart aches for him. He knows the, the next chapter is going to bring grief. And this is a relational insight 
for us because to love in a fallen world is to invite pain. And this affects motherhood. That, that happens in a Genesis 3 environment in which every feature of life has the, has the bitter taste of the curse. One of them being there, there is gonna be pain in childbirth and child rearing. There, there are details that do not easily fit on a Hallmark card. Burdens and history that many of you have, have walked into this setting today and they are on your mind. The death of children. Miscarriage. For many of you, the, the loss of your mom maybe this year, this week for Miss Judy. And, and for moms, you, you, you labor with the, the, the burden of your, 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 your child's life choices, the direction that they take, a sense of relational distance and loneliness. For some of you wondering, am I even gonna get a phone call today? Pastor Keith mentioned last week the book by Russell Moore titled The Storm-Tossed Family. And, and his observation in, in, in that book is that family hurts because family is so important. God's intention for humanity is to inhabit a home. You know, he, he is, as Paul opens this letter, God the Father. Family has existed for all eternity. God has oriented the world and the shape of the gospel after family, placing us in a home. So family has tremendous power and and something of such value. It it affects us so deeply. G.K. Chesterton has said that when you love something, that its gladness is a reason for loving it. And its sadness is a reason for loving it more. And I've just taken that quote and applied it to parenting. (laughs) Because it it just brings so much gladness. So much sadness. C.S. Lewis had a a word for this this joy and and sorrow paradox. He he borrowed the the German emotion of Sehnsucht. Which, which kind of described a, a, a painful happiness and an intense longing. If you, if you think of hunger pains, you know, that you, you desire something so much and it hurts. And so, you know, we, we get past 11 o'clock, 11.30, you start to experience that. And, and, and that's where, where parenting begins. That's where motherhood begins. I, I can't claim that for fatherhood in the same way. The, 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 the pangs of childbirth, all the, the, the painful expectation of a baby's arrival. And here there, there is longing and there is affection in, in Paul. One, one scholar translates the word that he uses as homesick yearning. He longs for his child. Homesick yearning and tears. Everything that matters in this life is characterized by these. We, we feel the shadow. We, we, we feel opportunities that have passed us. We feel moments moving on that are no longer available to us. He, he uses the word remember three times in this paragraph here. I was on vacation uh, this past weekend with my parents and my, my sister's family and it was coming toward the end of it and, and we were gonna be heading out, heading home a, a day early from, from the rest of them and I was telling goodbye to everyone and uh, I was looking at my mom and she just started to have tears in her face because we were going home from vacation and I was thinking, mom, I'm gonna see you in like two days. <laughs> uh, but I, I immediately knew what she felt like. Right? This, this particular moment, this, this occasion, it's coming to an end. It's no longer accessible to us. Life just moves on. The pace just picks up. And you blink and it's gone. 
That's life in this world. Lewis had had another way of describing this feeling. He he called it the, the experience of autumn. Of that season. Of a season coming to an end. For some of you, you're, you're just awaiting your, your youngest child is about to grow up, about to enter into adulthood. For many, there's the, the longing and the, the ache of children who have yet to arrive. You, you know what Paul means when he talks about homesick yearning. For some, maybe the, the season of that being available to you has, has passed and you know that's just, that's just not gonna be part of your story in this life. Listen, our, our home life makes us yearn for home. Home when everything gets restored to us, restored to those we have lost, who have gone before us. Eternity where the joys don't have to come to an end, where the racing of the clock no longer steals away from us the capacity that we have to share in the joy. But we're not there yet. And so family realities are met with longing and tears and, and Paul knows here he can feel it he knows he is he is letting go of Timothy second Timothy is written at the end of an apostolic era and Paul is in position of commending him to God of releasing him to the sufferings and the trials of ministry and notice he, he does not attempt to protect him from difficulty But he wants to prepare him for the dangers that await him, for the needs that he faces. And so he tells him to remember where he's come from. Look at verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well, he, he recognizes Timothy's spiritual heritage. The gospel did not come, come to him just floating down from heaven. It, it traveled through particular personalities. It, it, it came located in a, in a woman named Lois and, and her daughter named Eunice. And, and God chose to preserve these names in his word for millennia. It's striking to pay attention to what, what names get recorded in Scripture. In the early chapters of, of, the, of the book of Exodus, uh, Pharaoh's name isn't mentioned, isn't recorded. And yet we're given the name of Moses' mom and of the Hebrew midwives that, that refused to follow the Pharaoh's orders and, and protected life. And so, the, 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 literally, the, the most powerful man in the world at that time remains anonymous in God's perspective. Lost to history. And yet, those who were delivering and protecting life, they are named for the people of God to pay attention to and take Notice of, and, and Paul does that here. He honors motherhood and, and grandmotherhood. He, he mentions the women specifically because in, in, in the book of Acts, we, we find out that Timothy's father was an unbeliever. And so from the perspective of, of faith, Eunice is essentially a single mother. But, but, but this is God's ordinary way of bringing truth to the next generation through godly parents there's a generational emphasis in this, in, throughout this letter. Paul sees himself as, as standing in a faithful lineage. He says that he serves God as did his ancestors. In verse 3, his primary concern at this point in his life is what, what will the next chapter of the Christian movement look like? He's urgent about the transfer of the gospel. So later he says in chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my child, Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
So he, he's, he's making this explicit to three generations. And then you add in Timothy's mother and grandmother on top of that. And you get five generations. Now, that means Paul anticipates Lois's influence extending to five generations and beyond. I mean, think about it. How many people will, you, will your children and your, your grandchildren affect in this world? Moms, what, what seeds are you sowing right now that, that become oaks that will outlast you? That will reach further and reach deeper than you could imagine. But, but it's interesting that this, this is not just for those who have biological children. In, in calling Timothy my child, this, this single man places himself in that line. What you have received from me, Timothy, you pass on to those who will follow you. And, and, and the trajectory of the Bible, it, it, it moves from filling the earth in Genesis 1 to going into all the earth. In Matthew 28, being, being fruitful and multiplying is still the great mandate, but in many ways it's, it's been overshadowed by the great commission. As John Piper has, has put it, the, it's like the emphasis moves a little bit from, from making children to making children to be disciples, of Jesus. And that's responsibility of the whole community. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, one generation shall commend your works to another. That's what we do. That's what we do in the, in the children that are gathered in our midst and declare your mighty acts. Plug, by the way, for LCC Kids Ministry. Sign up. I don't know, you know, find the website. This is your Mother's Day application. Everybody here gets to become a mom on Mother's Day. That's basically the point. We get to commend God's mighty acts to the coming generation. But, but there's, there's something about when this is instilled in the home. And Paul draws attention to that, not just once, but twice in this book. Later in chapter three, verse 14, 14 he says, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. From whom? Meaning Paul? Well, could be. But, but he goes back further than that. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy was taught the scriptures by his mom. And he, he was taught not just Bible stories, but the Bible story. He, he, he was taught how, how the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. He was, he was taught how every story, how every character, how every chapter is, is pointing to Christ as the solution for humanity, as, as Jesus, as the great hero, the great rescuer in all of these stories. He learned this from his mom. Now, that, that doesn't mean that every child who grows up in church or who reads the Bible turns out to be a Timothy. We can't do that with this passage. That's not going to serve us. We would be turning on the Apostle Paul because not even his ministry had that kind of success rate. But this is clarifying. Moms and dads, this is what we do. We teach our children. We impart truth. There, there is so much that our culture trains us, it teaches us how, what, what to get worked up with in your parenting when it comes to the needs of your kids, when it comes to dealing with your grandchildren. There, there, there are so many values that we listen to. So many things that can feel urgent. You know, you've given them the right diet. Are they getting the right nutrition? Do they have the right education? Are you ensuring for them the right opportunities? And those things matter. But Paul places at the center here, are you, are you giving them the gospel? 
You're teaching them the wisdom of God's ways. It's not the only thing of importance, but it is most important. Paul Tripp has said that nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. That's what motherhood is. My four-year-old son, he lives with a sense of purpose and he always needs one. He always needs some mission to fulfill. Uh, If he doesn't have one, he'll invent his own and that's typically when he gets into trouble. Uh, But actually, while we were away on on vacation, he was was able to uh, rescue another little girl who who had gotten in the pool uh, over her head and he got in there and he pulled her out and, and that just made his day. Because he, he fulfilled the mission, you know. Uh, but moms do not need to invent a mission. It arrives with one. Motherhood is by its nation, nature missional. Rachel Jacob, it says, there, there's a good old saying that distance adds intrigue. It's certainly true. Just think back to anything that has ever been distant from you that is now near. Your driver's license marriage, children, things that used to seem so fascinating, but as they drew near, became less mystical and more, well, real, right? That, that's life right there. The mystical becomes real. It's less adventurous. It's less satisfying. It, it, we kind of feel like we want to move on at some point. This same principle also applies to mission fields. The closer you get to home, the less intriguing the work of sacrifice seems, As another good old saying goes, everyone wants to save the world, but no one wants to help mom with the dishes. (laughs) When you are a mother at home with your children, the church is not clamoring for monthly ministry updates. Any moms send out newsletters? Uh, When you talk to other believers, they don't communicate awe about what you are sacrificing for the gospel. People do not press you for needs they can fill for you or how they can pray for you. Your life does not feel intriguing. Or glamorous. Your work is normal because you are as close to home as you can possibly be. You have actually gone so far as to become home. And the home that you become for your children and for your grandchildren is a mission field. So he highlights teaching, but 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 he also highlights testimony in this. He says, knowing from whom. You have learned them. Life example testifies to the reality of what's being taught. And Paul says, that's what you received, Timothy. It was a sincere faith. What you observed, you know it was the real deal. And that's what resides in you now. So don't you forget that. In the moments when doubt comes and threatens you. You have something real inside of you. You serve a real God. The the, the faith of your mom, the faith of your grandmother, it was was visibly genuine. It captured them. It had their affections. It penetrated deep. It, It was not just talking points. It was not just good morals. It was not just outward pressures. There there was a, a, a sincere confidence in God that had their heart. There was a hunger for God's word. There was a treasuring of Christ more than possessions, more than security, more more than the, the comforts of life and getting worked up and getting frantic about whether those things are in place. There were, there were roots that went deeper than that. And, and you know them, Timothy. You saw them. And they affect your life today. May our children witness our sincere faith. That's what young people are looking for today. They they can smell inauthenticity. One of the points that Samuel Chan makes in his, his book, Evangelism in a Skeptical World. He's talking about the kind of the post-Christian culture that we, we live in and, and how to communicate the gospel in a way that's understandable 
to, to, the, to the people around us. I, this is the environment that younger people are growing up in today. It would be a very helpful book for parents to read as well. But, but, but he says, you know, we, we, we tend to think about the kind of the way that truth gets lived out as, as moving on from, from truth to belief to life. You know, give me convincing reasons that this is true and then, okay, I'll believe it and now I'll live in light of that. And, and sometimes that's how we seek to convince people as well. But the, the culture around us has flipped that on its head. It, 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 now it's looking for not, hey, give me an argument for why this is true, but, but show me this is livable. Show me the difference this makes in your life. Show me the happiness that this brings to you. And then maybe I'll think it's credible. Maybe I'll think it's plausible. I could believe that. And now I'll pay attention to, and so why do you think that that's true? Now, it probably shouldn't be that way. That really is flipping it on its head. But that's instructive to, to, to know that's the access that we have to young people today. They're, they're wanting to see, is this livable? Is there reality to the Christian faith? What difference is this going to make on Monday? How does this change? Your workplace, your neighborhood, your attitude at four in the afternoon. And Timothy observed this in his family and the community that he grew up in. And this sincere faith now lives in him. And Paul tells him, man, you are real. And that ought to have a stabilizing effect on him in the challenges that he faces, in the, in the leadership demands that are being placed on him as, as one person after another is turning from the truth, as, as people are not convinced he's the right guy for the job. That raises, that raises questions for him. Am I real? And is all of this real? Paul's telling him, you, you know you serve a real God, you serve a miracle worker. You labor for a gospel that's powerful to save. Don't you remember your mom? You know this is true. And speaking from my own experience growing up in the church, you know, sometimes second generation Christians can envy other people's stories, other people's testimonies that can appear to be more radical and God turning around life in, 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 in saving them from consequences and, and just on, on a, a trajectory that was broken and, and God stepping in an amazing way and bringing them to an awareness of, of truth. And, 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 and we're familiar with, I've colored coloring sheets about these things, you know, from my earliest memories. But, but, but Paul treats this like this is a, as a treasure of having front row seats from childhood to the truth. This, this is precious beyond measure. Because we, we can succumb to the enchantment of the, the age, we, we can start to feel like this wasn't really anything special. That if, if we had been born in a, in a different time or a, a different geography where the gospel had yet to come, that we would have just been fine, you know? That other religions and other cultures where, where, where Christ is not known, that that would have been just as good for us, right? That's, that's the message that the pluralistic world around us teaches us. But, but missionaries have lost their lives seeking to bring to unreached people groups what we had taught by our bedside as precious beyond measure. And Paul's telling Timothy, don't you ever forget that. Timothy is a reminder to us that your faith is no less sincere if you began trusting Christ at six years old. And what a difference motherhood makes. Gloria Furman says, because motherhood is missional, there's something of eternal value taking place in the realm of the unseen. It's true. Sometimes the only cheering a mom hears is when the lid of the ice cream container snaps open in the kitchen. That brings a lot of cheering from my heart. 
but as mothers faithfully raise up the next generation in the gospel, the applause of heaven echoes into eternity. Faithful to God's call, we honor his ways and we are empowered by God's gift. Eric, you can come back up, man. Look at what Paul says in verse six. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's, he's likely referring to Timothy's ordination, that, that, that moment when, when the elders are laying on hands and Paul is praying over him. He's commissioning him for the ministry of the gospel. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, 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 is awakening new gifting and empowering for God's calling on Timothy's life. And he, he's saying, remember that moment and fan it into flame. Don't let that just reside in the past. God has, God has given you something. He has, he's commissioned you with something that, that you have responsibility to tend to. And, and, and to, to seek the energizing of his spirit. Because God's not given you a spirit of fear. Don't retreat from the calling, Timothy. Motherhood is easily met with fear. I mean, your, your mind just races down the road as far as you can get and back. And you can, you can already see the future, can't you? You already know the life patterns that your five-year-old are going to take and how that's going to land him in prison. <laughs> There's fear that meets you. Fear that your wayward children will never return home. Fear that you will be forgotten in your final years. And, and fear has certain companions. Things like insecurity and worry. Christina Fox says, this desire to control our lives is common among mothers. We voice our worries to each other talk about our stresses and strategize how to make our lives smooth and problem-free. Worry is an acceptable sin that joins many conversations, playdates, and texts. Sometimes we even encourage worry among one another, attempting to outdo each other to see whose life is more worrisome and hectic. It seems so normal and commonplace after all. I mean, what mother doesn't worry? And if she didn't, wouldn't there be something wrong with her? So Paul reminds Timothy here as, as the trials of ministry are bearing down on him. And he reminds all of us, that's not the spirit God gave you. That's not the calling that you received. And, and he, he's not just talking about spirit in the sense of some inspiration, you know, some nice quote to really help you today. Um, he's not talking about a good feeling. He's not talking even just about character qualities. He's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul characteristically associates gift and the Holy Spirit in his writings here. This is the Mother's Day gift that will never disappoint. And you have it. He calls Timothy to look back to his commissioning and, and, and look even further back to the spirit that he has received, the, the resources that he has that are not limited by his natural abilities, that aren't limited by just what's personally comfortable for him, what he feels like he's able to do. He says, Timothy, you have, you have more than that. You, you, you've got resources beyond your natural abilities. You, you have power for serving. God energizes you in a way that's supernatural. It's, it's, it's cliche to say that motherhood is exhausting and unrewarding work. 
but every cliche is true. That's why it becomes a cliche. Because it's so recognizable in our experience. And the moms here, you, you, you know when you are tapped out. You, you know when you feel like you have nothing left to give. You've, you've got no more patience for that attitude. You've got no more energy for this week. You, you've got no more words to share. Maybe you feel like you have no more motivation to engage. So that's why he says you, you, you have power, but you have love. You have love for sacrifice. You have the love of Christ by the power of the Spirit channeling through you to meet the need. Paul says in this letter, my life has been a sacrificial offering to God. And the last drop is about to be poured out. Because I've given. I have given it. And what a word that was this morning when it feels like there's not one more drop. There's power. There's love. And there is self-mastery here. Uh, the word is often translated self-control. Um, what, do you, what do you think about when you think of self-control? You think of somebody who, you know, needs more of that because they're so hot-headed and they're just, they're gonna blow up in a moment so they need self-control. Moms need that too, you know, that, that's helpful. Um, somebody who's got an ad- addictive personality, they're just really indulgent. Right, that, that, that's included in that word reigning in those passions. But, but again, the, the, the character profile for Timothy doesn't seem to be that that's the kind of self-control he needs. He doesn't seem like somebody who's a drunkard and a glutton and just you know, it, engaging his impulses. But he does seem to need some self-mastery. He, he can't just be driven by his feelings. He, he, he can't allow his personal outlook on life to be definitional for what he sees and what he does. He, he can't become lost in his own perspective. He can't reside to his own personality and say, you know, I, I'm introverted, I'm shy, I don't like that, I never do those kinds of things. That's just not for me. He says, Timothy, God, God's given you the ability to, to master those features of your humanity. We don't escape our humanity, but we're not only our humanity. That's what it means for the Holy Spirit to show up. He calls for him to take charge of his thought life. To have a measured response to life. To not freak out, not to run down the road of his vain imaginations. Mothers have a, a unique strength where you, you can think of a hundred possibilities at once. Right? You, just, you just know all the options. They, they come. Which means you also know every way that it could go wrong. You know? it just, it, it's a strength. It's a weakness. And so Paul says there, there is this gift. There is this gift of self-mastery from the Spirit. To allow truth to speak to your heart, to speak to your expectations, to speak to your interpretation of life, to allow peace to take control. We want to fan motherhood into flame this morning. We want to remember its significance, its assignment from God, its centrality in the ways and the purposes of God and how he extends the gospel from generation to generation and we want to remember the power that is available for everything that God has called us to do. Whether that's Timothy's ministry, motherhood and the variety of seasons that you walk through it and any divine assignment that we receive. We have a spirit, not a fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so we want to we take some time to, to pray and to, to seek God to fan that into flame. And so if, if we could have the 
moms stand and just want to take a moment to allow the Lord to minister. I, I am aware that there are several hundred varieties of need represented in this room. This, this, is, this is not an easy topic to speak to. I'm just so grateful that, like Timothy, our confidence is in, it's the Spirit's desire to care, to lead his people, to speak to what, what are the broken features that you personally have brought with you today? What are the specific areas of need and reminder and care that he desires to impart? So we, we, we take time, we take moments like this because we, we believe they have significance. Not just because it, it's on a calendar and, and Hallmark makes a lot of money today. But, but Paul describes something here and it's, it's, it's unique to Timothy's circumstance but, but it's, it's connected to a pattern we see throughout the Bible. He says, God imparted something to you through the laying on of my hands. Through commissioning, through care, through the ministry of God's spirit, through prayer from the body, through, through the gathering of the church. God made a, a difference in that moment that extends into your future moments. So I'm going to take some time this morning to pray for the moms. And so if you could just, um, family and friends surrounding moms, just lay your hands on them nearby. We look to the Lord. think any of us needs more convincing of the value and significance of what you have called these women to do. We know it from scripture. Lord, we, we know it in our own lives. We know personally the power and the, the impact that motherhood has. Lord, no matter how old the children are, no matter where they find themselves today, Lord, whether or not there will be family gatherings happening today or whether or not that just hasn't existed as a thing to do in this particular family for years because there's distance God, we we know on every woman here there is a calling. There is a by the will of God, by the sovereign goodness of God, there is a a commissioning. And Lord, I I ask that they would hear that from you in a way that is fresh. we, We need reminders of this. Paul reminds Timothy of these realities here. Would they hear that in your heart from you? And and with that, would they hear the great pleasure that you have and how they serve? God, we we ask for your blessing on them. God, we, we ask for the reward that you promise. Lord, you 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 said that nothing that we do that fulfills your purposes goes unrewarded whether now or in eternity, God, would there be an assurance, an experience of your favor? And God, we we seek the things that Paul describes here, that we seek power. 
God, we seek a, a renewal of energy, Lord. If this has been a wearying season, if this has been a, a time that's just been discouraging, and they feel both their own limits and they feel the, the limitation of the circumstances that they're in and those circumstances are frustrating or constricting. God, would you send power God, would you send anointing, divine enablement and resources for help and for ministry? God, would would you allow their hearts to well up with your own love, Lord, and awareness of your love for them that overflows to meet those that you have called them to love? God, pray for self-mastery, Lord, we pray for truth, Lord, to be an anchor for their souls. Lord, we, 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 we pray, Lord, against the tactics of the enemy for doubt and for discouragement. Lord, we, we pray for clarity. Lord, we pray that you would bring revelation, Lord, that you would allow them to see their family, allow them to see their circumstances. Lord, as you see them, Lord, to, to, to speak to their perspective, Lord, to speak to their emotions, Lord, to speak to their heart. And God, we pray for the mission of motherhood today, Lord. Whether there are young children in the home or grown children that you have allowed these ladies to have access to, grandchildren, God, we, we, we pray for generations. Lord, we, we, we pray for a storyline that sounds like Eunice and Lois and Timothy and entrust to other men and to the generation that comes beyond them. God, we, we, we pray for you to affect what only you can do, God, for you to create responsiveness. That's not, that's not in our power. We confess that. God, we, we, we confess so often we try to control and take charge of what you've not given us to do. And so God, we entrust our children to you, grandchildren. But God, we ask for your intervention. God, we ask for your awakening of sincere faith in our young people. We pray that on behalf of all the children that are gathered in our children's ministry today, God, that they would see from our community, from the moms and the dads, from from the single people, from the teenagers and beyond, God, they would see something that's real. A God who is worth serving. Truth that is redeeming. Joy that is rewarding. God, would they witness that And Lord, would you bring them to trust in the Savior, in the hero of every story of Scripture, Lord. Would that shine through our influence and our example. God, we ask that you would help us to be a community that would fan motherhood into into flame, Lord, that would bring support, that would, Lord, minister to the variety of needs that are located in this experience. God, we pray for your comfort, Lord, for every broken heart. Wherever there are tears, whatever there is homesick yearning. Lord, as we began, we want grace, mercy, and peace you give it. Let's stand together and close in song.